The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. If you're new here this morning, we're glad you're joining us. We're glad you're here. If you're watching us online, we're glad you're joining us from the live stream, and we would continue to encourage you to join us in person if you're here in the Twin Cities. It's good to gather together as the people of God. This morning is a little bit different. Normally, our pattern is to preach through a book of the Bible, whether New Testament or Old Testament, and we begin at the beginning of the book and we preach to the end of the book. We just finished Acts. But this morning, we're going to begin a three-week series on our mission statement, and we're going to talk a little bit about why. Next week, One of our elders, Andy Nacelli, is going to preach on the middle section of our mission statement, the supremacy of God in all things. And then I will bring up the rear on the third week and look at for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. So would you join me now as we pray and ask the Lord for help? Father, we have just sung holy, holy, holy. And we now say, woe are we. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and yet we want to see more of your beauty, more of your glory, more of your majesty. So come now in the power of your spirit. Purify our hearts and minds and our lips, and so that we see afresh the beauty of Jesus. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I want to begin with two questions. The first is, what is a mission statement? And the second is, why should we preach on it? So let's begin with the first question. What is a mission statement? A mission statement seeks to answer the question, what are we going to be all about? Or what will we do? For example, Google's mission statement is to organize the world's information and to make it universally accessible and useful. Or Tesla's mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Or the Vikings' mission statement is to endlessly torture Minnesota fans by never winning the Super Bowl. That's my personal paraphrase. Our our church mission statement is one attempt to capture and articulate how we will make an impact on the world around us. It's our North Star that guides us. And so why should we preach on it? Why preach on a three-week series on our church mission statement? I have three reasons why. The first is that it's brand new to some of you. You might have heard it read before. You might have seen it on our website. You might have seen it on promotional materials. But when this was first debuted, it was 1995. How many of you were here? Not that many. So for most of us, it's new or at least unfamiliar. I can't remember the last time we dissected it. So for some of us, we're introducing it for the very first time. Second, it's a reminder for many of us. We've gone through some challenges in our world and even in our church, and it's a good opportunity to remind ourselves again, what are we all about? Why do we exist, brothers and sisters? Why do we gather week after week? It's like when you sit down at the dinner table 
like we do at ours, and, and sometimes, well, every time, we'll pray before we eat. And, and sometimes the children will say, why do we pray before we eat? What do you say in that moment? You get to recast the vision for why we look to God, the giver of all the good gifts that we have received, including his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And he provides us a meal in that moment to sustain us another day. It's a moment to cast vision. And that's what I want to do this morning. So it's brand new to some of us. It's a reminder for others. And the third is to guard us against drifting off course and departing from the mission of the church. Consider this mission statement of a well-known university. It says this, their mission is to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. What university was this? Harvard. Many of us knew this. Founded in 1636, it had all Christian professors based all of its policies and practices in a Christian worldview. And today, if you walked onto that campus, it would be completely unrecognizable to its founders or to its original mission statement. And it didn't take long for that to happen. It took about 80 years. And we're 150 years old today. It's what some have called mission drift, a slow and subtle drift away from explicit Christian mission. And that could happen to us. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. He says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So there can be so-called knowledge that's being shared within a church community that would cause some to swerve entirely from faith in Jesus Christ. We can see this in churches across the world who have abandoned their original mission, who serve a lot of people in a lot of different philosophies and things, but they do not serve Jesus Christ anymore. And we can see this of parachurch ministries, and, and we could list all the different organizations that once served Jesus, but no longer do. So why should we preach on our mission statement? It's brand new for some of us. It's a reminder for others, and it's to guard us from getting off course. I have a bonus fourth reason. It's to show how our mission is rooted in the scriptures. Preaching our mission statement is an opportunity to show how we got it from the Bible. Our mission statement is worthless if the Bible does not support it. And what I want to do is to show us from the Bible why this mission statement is true. Our mission statement is not perfect. It's not infallible. It's not inerrant. It's not divinely inspired. But it's one of the ways that we have tried the elders of this church in 1995 have sought to capture and articulate. What are we going to be all about? In 1995, Pastor John Piper, who was the pastor of preaching and vision in that year, wrote this about the mission statement. He said, a good case could be made for other words and a different way of saying our mission or even a different biblical focus and emphasis. But this is the way we believe God has led us to say it. And the emphasis he wants us to have in our church at this place and time. This is our mission to our generation. 
from the Bethlehem that God has been creating over the recent decades. We do not bear the burden of saying the last word of truth. God has that word. We do not bear the burden of infallibility. We ascribe that to God and his revealed word, the Bible. We do not bear the burden of permanence, ways of saying great things come and go. We do not need to fight to make this statement permanent. God and his truth are permanent. So that's a reminder that the grass withers, the flower fades, but what remains forever? It's the word of God. And so this is one articulation. You may not like the, the every choice of the words, and we, we might say it a slightly different way today, and, and yet it's one articulation of why I believe what God has put upon the heart of this church to be in this world, to make an impact in the world around us. Just a number of years ago, we added the phrase, through Jesus Christ, because the original didn't have it. And a Muslim or a Jew might say, oh, I like that mission statement. And we realized, oh, we got to be more explicit about the centrality of Christ. So all of that was introduction. My aim then in the rest of this sermon is to unpack and recast this vision for us. I don't want it to be a relic of what we once were. These words are not the inscription upon the tombstone of this church. It is the battle cry of a people who have been saved by Jesus, who have seen his beauty, his majesty, and his glory, and who bring this to the world to show them the beauty and the supremacy of Jesus, to invite them in to experience joy in Christ. I want over these next three weeks, for this statement to be our collective heartbeat that would pump joy of Jesus into the veins of every single member so that wherever we go, it would be what spills out. So my plan is twofold. First, I want to go to one biblical text to see the glory, the beauty, and the bigness of God. And then secondly, I want to unpack the first third of our mission statement. And the reason I'm going to a text first, because so often it can be so easy to begin with us. What do do, I want to do? What impact do I want to make in the world? And yet we, we have to begin with what has God said in his word? Our mission statement, it, it doesn't begin with us, but it's a response to what God himself has revealed in his word to us. And it's a response of what he's done in us so that we would see his glory. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 15 to 20. So this is in the New Testament, after Acts, number of the epistles, and we come to Colossians. We're going to be looking at Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. We're going to read it, but as I was pondering, you know, where would I take us? What, what, Bible passage would we look at? Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is on my Mount Rushmore of texts. If I could only pick four to, to highlight and capture the glory of Jesus, Colossians 1, 15 to 20 would be on it. That's a good lunchtime conversation. What would you put on your Mount Rushmore of biblical texts? So I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to briefly give us a few observations from it. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He, meaning Jesus, 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. I preached on this passage back in 2019, and what I want to do is summarize my three points from that sermon. And the first is that without Jesus, nothing exists. Without Jesus, nothing exists. Look at verse 16. It says, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Without Jesus, nothing exists. There is no heaven. There is no earth. There is no existence. And this is why when we come to a mission statement and we begin the words with, We exist. We have to begin with, well, why do we exist? It's because Jesus has caused us to exist. Jesus is essential and instrumental in all of creation, including every single breath that we take this morning. Now, see the end of that verse. It says, all things were created through him and for him. Creation exists for Jesus. We exist for Jesus. You exist for Jesus, to glorify God. This is why when we go to our mission statement with why we exist, it's because of passages like this in the Bible that says everything in the world, everything you can see and everything you can't see was created by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory, for his purposes. And that's why when it comes to us, when we think about our own life purpose, you should begin with texts like this. Why do you exist? What's your purpose in life? For some of us this morning, we're wondering about purposelessness. Maybe you just retired and you're thinking, what, do I, what am I going to do with all my time? Or maybe you're just tired of the nine to five grind and say, is there, is there more than this? Why do I exist? Why has God put me here right now in this place, in this family? It's for Jesus, for his glory, by his design. It's like the small print on all of our clothes. I checked my jacket this morning. It says made in China. Probably all of your clothes say that too. Most of them. And yet written into every atom and every cell in our universe is the phrase made by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Every single atom that exists in this world, every single cell in your body has embedded into it for Christ, for his glory. Without Jesus, nothing exists. And all that does exist, exists for God's glory through Jesus Christ. Second point, without Jesus, everything falls apart. 
Without Jesus, everything falls apart. Colossians 1, 17 and 18 says, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. So Jesus holds everything together. Creation unravels if Jesus himself does not uphold it by the power of his word. He's holding it all together. This is the meticulous providence and sustaining power of God. He's exercising it over every single element in the universe. He ordains the rotation of the planets all the way down to how every single leaf on every single tree begins to change color when the chlorophyll decreases and all the other chemicals begin to show their colors and then they fall to the ground. Every single leaf ordained by God. Jesus holds all things together. And not only does he hold all things together, he's the head of the church. He's the senior pastor of the church. He's the chief shepherd. He guides and leads his church. And so as we've preached through Acts and we see the onward march of the church, we are reminded once again, this is the acts of Jesus Christ. Jesus is leading his church. And so when we consider the mission of the church, we have to come back to why Jesus made it. We exist for him and for his glory. Number three, without Jesus, all perish. Without Jesus, all perish. Colossians 1.19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So without the death and resurrection of Jesus... There is no salvation. There is no heaven. Everyone, everything perishes. But all those in Christ who died with him and rose with him to new life are reconciled to God and have obtained peace. Without Jesus, all perish. See where it says in this verse, it says, making peace by the blood of his cross. There's only peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus Throughout these last 18 months, people have taken to the streets chanting, no justice, no peace. And the reality is, no Jesus, no peace. Jesus is the only person in the world who can bring true peace. Jesus breaks in, is establishing his kingdom, overcoming his enemies, bringing judgment because he's the judge and he's saving sinners. The gospel of Jesus is central to who we are and what we want to be all about. Jesus has done what we can't do to give us what we cannot earn to enjoy what we do not deserve. That is the stunning reality of the gospel. So why does all this matter? Why why did we go to Colossians 1? This matters because this morning, I don't want you to just hear about our mission statement like you were taking in a corporate PowerPoint presentation uh, about something that was sterile and uninteresting and bland. Instead, I want you to see the beauty and the majesty 
of Jesus that rules and reigns over all things. It's so easy to drift away and to lose sight of who God is. Like Israel in the Exodus, after God has just delivered them out of Egypt with his strong hand. Look at all of these miracles, one after another after another. Walking through the Red Sea, your clothes are still dry. And then, ooh, look, a golden cow. Let's worship that. That's like us. We are like Israel. We're so prone to see shiny things and and to let our hearts go there. And this morning, I just want to call us again to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. So, now let me unpack the first opening phrase of our mission statement. We exist to spread a passion. So first, we're going to look at the words, we exist. Our mission statement begins by reaching all the way down to why we exist. And having looked at Colossians 1, 15 to 20, how would you answer that question now? Why do you exist? Why did God make the world and everything in it? He made it for his glory. Why do we exist? We exist for the glory of God to reveal the glory of Jesus. The Bible makes that so clear throughout the scriptures. Isaiah 6, 3, we sang it this morning. The angels declare back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's glory pervades everything. The earth is full of his glory because he made it and everything exists to display and reflect his glory. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. If you drove in this morning and you saw the, the wall of clouds and then the sun just peeking over just the top of it with pink hues, and and purples and again it was saying don't miss the glory every morning there's a glory show taking place so that you would see and be awakened to the glory of jesus psalm 8 which we looked at last week lord oh lord how majestic is your name in all the earth we are to be awed by the majesty and glory of jesus or 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or whether you drink, do all for the glory of God. That's why we exist, to do everything for God's glory. So our mission statement begins with the most foundational level of why we exist. We exist to glorify God. So why doesn't our mission statement say that? It says we exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God. Well, we'll get to the supremacy of God next week, but I want to just at least say we exist not only to glorify God, but to spread and multiply and deepen the appreciation of the glory of God here in our world. So, so we're going to look at now th- this phrase, to spread. If God is the most glorious reality in all of the world, what do we do with it? It's to overflow in us so that It multiplies so that we share it, so that it spreads from us. It's amazing. Every first-time parent, if you ask them, 
you know, show, show us a picture of your baby. They can't wait. You know, I personally think most newborn babies look almost the same. You know, the, the little pink and blue hat and, you know, the little clip on the belly button and oversized diaper. And they, they kind of all look like babies. And my wife hates when I say this. Uh, she says, don't say that. And they they kind of, you know, they all kind of look the same. And yet you ask, a newborn, you ask a new parent and they're like, look at my baby. It's a miracle. And rightly so. I was the same way with all of my children. When you come upon something that's so amazing, that just takes your breath away, where you're so stunned by it, you can't help but, you know, come up to strangers in the streets and say, look at my baby. Look at how amazing this miracle is. It was inside and now it's out and it's breathing and it's doing stuff. This is what we do with things that bring us joy. We don't have to strategize about how to spread that good news. It just wells up within us and overflows into all of our interactions. Jesus told two short parables to illustrate the nature of the kingdom of God in Matthew's gospel. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. If you think about this, these two parables, no one does that. No one finds... A, a treasure, and then sells everything else to buy it. When was the last time you sold everything that you owned to buy that house or that car? We just don't do that. But that, that, that's exactly Jesus's point. It, it's such a treasure that everything else pales in comparison. It, it's that amazing that if you had nothing else in all the world but had that, you would be all right. And you would be more than all right. You would be thrilled. And so it is with Jesus, that when we have Jesus, when we know Christ, when we know the good news of the gospel, that our sins have been forgiven, that there's no guilt, there's no shame, that all the evil things, all the terrible things we've done can be washed clean by Christ, and that we can have new life in him, and that we have an eternal life to look forward to, and that we can have joy right now and live life abundantly. It awakens in us joy and it overflows into the lives of others. Now, some might read our mission statement and hear this phrase, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ and think, well, what about the discipleship of believers? Shouldn't we be about that as well? Is there any clash between discipleship and evangelism or in-reach and outreach or... Uh, you know, training and equipping the saints to do the work of ministry and then spreading a passion for the supremacy of God? And I would answer, no. We can only spread and share what we have first tasted and feasted upon and cultivated in our hearts. So I think our mission statement is very intentional in implying that discipleship and equipping and training and shepherding is all taking place. This is why we gather every single Sunday. This is why midweek programs take place and Sunday school classes and adult Sunday schools and Wednesday night connection. All of that is so that we would continue to have the 
passion for Jesus in our hearts stoked higher and higher and hotter and hotter so that it would overflow out of us and that we would be eager to spread it into the lives of others. Our mission doesn't pit discipleship against evangelism, but rather we're raising up and equipping and training and cultivating disciples of Jesus who will be disciple-making disciples. It includes spreading it into the lives of our children. How many of you came to faith before you were 18 years of age? Look at all the hands. That's an amazing reality. That God was kind in saving you at that early formative stage. And this is why we send missionaries to the very ends of the earth among unreached, unengaged people groups to translate the Bible and share the gospel, mainly probably with adults, so that they, when a church is born and established, that they're able to raise their children in the fear and discipline and admonition and to see Jesus from a young age so that some preacher halfway around the world might say someday, how many of you came to faith before you were 18? And all these hands go up because there was a generation where it was not true. No one had heard of Jesus. And so spreading and discipleship are not at conflict here. When you're serving in our children's ministry or when you're discipling your little children or when you're discipling your grandchildren, you are doing the very work that we want done. We want to spread this passion and stoke the fires of passion for Jesus and just see his glory so that there wouldn't be testimonies of, oh, I grew up in this church, but I never heard the gospel. And it was finally when I got to college that someone shared the gospel with me for the first time. I wasted those first 18 years with a false gospel. So I don't see any inherent conflict between our mission to spread and our labors to deepen faith. Third, we exist to spread a passion. And so I want to look at a passion. What do we mean by the word passion? The use of passion conveys the sense of being all in. A strong, intense, joyful emotion in Jesus. And in our statement, it's a passion for the supremacy of God. So this comes out of Jesus' command in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Jesus chastises the church at Laodicea in Revelation for being lukewarm. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so for Christians, what we want to be characterized by, what we as a church want to be characterized by, is not stoic, discipline, duty, I guess I come to church because it's the right thing to do. But we are to be a people who is passionate about God, who is to be joy-filled. The gospel is to ignite and elicit praise and worship. To be a passionless or an emotionless Christian should be an oxymoron. Salvation can't help but birth praise and worship and love and thanksgiving and joy in our hearts. It's like that new parent Look at my child. Look at this miracle that has happened to me. And so it should be with us, with the miracle of salvation. Look what God has done. 
I have received the greatest gift in all the world, and I did nothing to earn it. I paid no money. And yet God has given me all of his lavish grace. In a world full of hopelessness and despondency, there is unspeakable hope and peace in the person of Jesus. Passion encapsulates both the head and heart response that we want. It's not just information going into our heads, but that we would be able to exclaim, like the disciples on the Emmaus Road with Jesus. Did not our hearts burn within us when we heard Jesus unfolding the scriptures? Well, when the disciples turn to Jesus and he says, do you want to leave too? And they say, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. So our mission statement is one way we have sought to capture and articulate why we exist here as a church. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. So how should we respond this morning? If you're not trusting in Jesus, we're inviting you to come and see to taste and see that the Lord is good and receive the lavish grace of Jesus by receiving his forgiveness of sins. You may be wondering, is there really unspeakable joy? Is there really hope and peace? I don't feel hope and peace in, in the midst of my life. And we would invite you in and say, come, come. Jesus beckons you. Read Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and see his glory on display and ask the Lord for eyes to see and a heart to feel and to behold his glory. We want you to come in and receive Jesus. For those who are new to this mission, you're invited to join us as a church in spreading a passion for the supremacy of God. We want to invite you in to experience it, to be transformed by it, to scale the Alps of God's glory and to plumb the depths of his glory so that it would overflow out of us. It's, it's like a bonfire, that we would all be coals within the fire. And as other coals are put around a burning hot coal, all the other ones around it become burning hot. And then you put other cold ones on top and, and more and more. And what you have is this raging fire that brings heat and light to all. That's what we want to be as a church. I, I, I know it's been a hard 18 months. It's been a hard season for many of us. And, and the instinct could be, let's just regroup. Let's just, let's just kind of circle the wagons. Let, let, let's just not do all these other things. Let's just kind of lick our wounds. And I would just say, this mission statement is not the inscription on our tombstone. It's the battle cry of God's people as we say to the Lord of heaven and earth, give us the nations, give us the neighborhoods, save more, bring more people in so that more and more souls would have their hearts ignited with a passion for your glory and your supremacy. 
ask the Lord of heaven and earth for more and then do it in our children and do it in our neighbors and do it in our small group and do it in our Sunday school classes. For you old timers, you're invited to recalibrate and realign your life to this mission. We exist to enjoy God, to find our joy in him. Almost nearly every service, I give the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I always add, what? Joy in Jesus. And, and one of my kids said, that's not the right way it says it in numbers. And I said, you're right. But I add that because that's what we're all about. We're all about discovering that our deepest needs are met in the person of Jesus, that we can have joy in him. Yes, in sorrow. Yes, when our loved ones die. Yes, when we're diagnosed with cancer, that we can have a deep, abiding, steadying joy found in him because of what he's done. And we're going to signify what he's done once again by going to the table. So this morning, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to discover a life of joy, to feast at heaven's banquet table, to cast off guilt and shame, and to come and see what the Lord has done. Let's pray. Father, we do ask now that you would come and meet us. Ignite in us a passion for your glory so that we would love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.